Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technology with me, Tiasha Zaitz. Medication-related patient harm and death are a global problem. Despite technological progress, the numbers are not declining as we might hope they would. WHO estimates that the cost associated with medication errors is $42 billion annually. The estimates about deaths associated with adverse drug events are very different. For example, in the UK, there are supposedly 1,700 deaths annually due to the issue. The estimates for the US are spanning around 100,000 deaths every year. The challenge with these estimates is that they are often based on 10 or 20 years old studies and in the last two decades a lot of progress has been made to drive adherence and make prescribing safer. However, at the same time, the opioid crisis in the US added substantially to the numbers of deaths related to medications. I wanted to explore reasons for medication challenges in depth, so I recorded a documentary about the topic with 10 experts from across the world. The premiere of the movie, titled Overdose, How Can We Prevent Medication Errors, will air on June 29th, so make sure to save the date and follow the event on LinkedIn, where the link to the premiere will be published. You can find the link to that event and more information in the show notes. So reserve June 29th and join the premiere to pitch your thoughts, experiences as well. To raise awareness about the global pandemic related to medication challenges, I will be releasing the interviews with all the speakers from the movie. Today, you will hear from David Cliff, a person living with diabetes and the author of the newsletter, The Diabetes Investor. In this episode, he talked about what makes diabetes and chronic disease management difficult. We addressed a lot of human aspects that contribute to worse outcomes than we could see. So let's just dive in in the discussion where David is explaining the technological progress that's been made. For those not familiar with diabetes, David will mention continuous blood glucose monitoring, or CGM, which is used today instead of time uh, blood glucose measures, or BGMs. Enjoy the discussion and do subscribe to the show to be notified about the next episode automatically. The upcoming speakers are clinical pharmacists, doctors and nurses, and you can find more information in the link added in the show notes. You were talking about insulin dosing in the hospitals. Yeah, okay, so one of the biggest issues in, in any hospital setting is when you have a patient who's using insulin, Again, depending on what they're in there for, how do you make sure you're properly dosing them, okay? So a lot of the hospitals, some hospitals, have started to adopting CGM technology and incorporating that into their IT systems. This company, Glytech, what they do 
is they come up with optimal insulin dosing in a hospital setting. Now, the goals are always a little bit different, okay? Because the way hospitals are compensated, they don't want to readmit, so they want to get them out of the hospital as quickly as possible. They don't want them coming back right away either. And for any diabetic patient in a hospital setting, it adds a complication that not everybody's used to. There's a thought process that, hey, I'm in a hospital, I'm with a bunch of doctors, they should know what they're doing. The problem is some do and some don't. And so if you're not experienced with dealing with a diabetic patient, it, it's a little bit different. Now, everybody's trying these different systems, okay? They're, like I said, because of we have better technology today, we have insulin dosing algorithms, we have all these things. But again, the hospital setting is probably, again, depending on what the patient's in there for, is probably the most difficult setting to be in. And so I think everybody wants to, obviously you want to do no harm, you don't want to have a severe hypoglycemic event, nor do you want a severe hyperglycemic event. You want to do your best to keep them in a good range. But it is a, a very demanding area because of the, what I would say, the non-traditional factors. It's not somebody just having managing their diabetes on a regular basis. You're in a hospital. You're, you're getting poked and prodded every couple hours. You're not sleeping probably like you normally do. You're not eating like you normally do. You're not exercising. You're under stress. All of these are complicating factors that even if somebody follows, let's say, the protocol to the letter, doesn't mean there's not going to be an issue. So I think the goal has become let's mitigate the chance for error. So where in the old days you had lots of errors, maybe now you're cutting that number down to instead of and again I don't know the numbers, I'm speaking in the hypotheticals. <coughs> Excuse me, let's say you had ten errors a day in the past. You get that to down to maybe one or two errors a day now, that's a pretty good improvement. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the drive with almost every piece of technology for anybody who's using insulin today, whether it's in continuous delivery through an insulin pump, whether it's a connected system with a pen, whatever. You want to make sure that you're getting it as optimal dosing as possible without doing any harm to the patient. You've been in the diabetes space for over 20 years. Is it possible to describe a little bit how the whole medication landscape has changed for, from the patient's perspective? So the amount and the number of different medications is higher, the treatments are improving uh, or getting more sophisticated. Is the management of medications for patients getting any easier? Can you compare like how it was 20 years ago to how it is today? Uh, the <laughs> Well, the answer is yes and no. There's no question the uh, the drugs we have today are much better. Insulin analogs are better than the old old human insulins. GLP-1 therapy is, has become widely accepted. As even the drugs we have, the SGLT2s, the drugs are better. The technology is better. We have CGM now instead of BGM. The, and plus we have phones. Everybody's got a smartphone. So everything talks to everything now. Yet... Even with all these great advancements we've had, technology, drugs, you name it, 
we still have a problem because a lot of patients don't follow what they're supposed to do. So even though you, it, it, we have a lot of great stuff, the same statistic keeps coming up over and over again in that like 70% of the patients, and it doesn't matter whether they're insulin users or not, are not under what they define as good control. So there's a disconnect between all of this great stuff that we have and the actual results. The one item that cannot be controlled in this chain of events is the patient. And there are so many factors that, that have to be taken into account that aren't, quote-unquote, directly diabetes-related. So let's say you have a patient with either no insurance or high deductible insurance. There's a lot of patients in that situation. So what do they do? They skip doses. Well, you know, that doesn't work. You know, they're skipping doses because they can't afford it. Even even in places where everything is given to them, sometimes they don't do it because they forget. They don't like the side effects. There's what most patients want is not to have diabetes in the first place. Okay, since they can't have that. The next thing they want is diabetes management made stupid, okay? Something they just do every day without even having to think about it. So the problem has come that I think a lot of the platforms that I've seen, especially in the digital space, they have the opposite effect. They're there to help, but it's a constant reminder to the patient. Oh, my God, I've got a chronic condition. Oh, my God, i got to do this. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, I got my kids to pick up from soccer. I got to make dinner, whatever. It, they really don't want to be reminded every day what they have to do and how to do it. I think some of the drugs, like just one, I'm a big believer in GLP-1 therapy because to me it's the dumbest therapy on earth. You jack yourself once a week. You don't have to measure your blood sugars. You more than, more than likely the patient's going to lose weight. That's always a bonus. So that's a therapy that to me is like extraordinarily stupid. We all do something once a week, whether it be go to the grocery store, the laundry, whatever. And plus the, the new GLP ones, whether it's Trulicity from Lily or Zempic from Novo, not only are they once weekly, but the, they use a very sh- small, short needle. So they're, you can't really say that they're not painful to inject. And so that's a real easy therapy to get somebody on because... It, it, it's stupid. And the same Novo Nordisk right now is working on a long-acting insulin that could last for more than 24 hours. The idea is very interesting because the theory is the less injections you need, the more you're going to do it. So this is where less is more. I'm not sure... Given the business dynamics of diabetes, that drug will see the light of day. We have long-acting insulins now. You only take them once a day. They're pretty good. Even if they could work through the hurdles of getting this thing, let's say, to last for three days, hypothetically, I'm not sure that would clear the business hurdle. Because here in the States, you know, you're talking about you, know, you got to get coverage. You don't get coverage. You're not on formula. You're not on formula. You don't have a business. I continue to believe that 
we are making good progress, but until we get to a point where what I call the average patient, I'm not talking about somebody like me. I'm a overeducated patient with access. I'm a boy with my toys. You know, I wear a CGM, I wear a pump, I exercise, I do what I'm supposed to do. But in my patient population, there's probably only 10%. And then you go all the way on the other end of the spectrum, you've probably got 20% of the patients. They just, they're disengaged with their diabetes and never will be. But in the middle, you have 70% of the patients. They know they have diabetes. They know they need to do something about it. They want information, but they also want it as dumb as possible. And medication adherence or compliance or whatever the proper term is these days is the biggest obstacle between better outcomes. So I think that Part of that has to do with patient education. A doctor, what happens? Patient goes in, they go see their doctor. Typically, what do they do? It's almost, I call it treatment by failure because they follow the playbook. Okay, they put them on a bunch of pills. If they don't work, okay, then we put you on something else. Again, this is how healthcare is structured. But you don't know what damage is being done to the patient while they're treating the failure. And it's, and, and there's also what I call the guilt factor. A lot of physicians use guilt. Doesn't really work. I had a mother, she tried to use guilt on me, it never worked. Okay, same thing with patients and, and physicians. Oh, if you don't take your drugs, I'm gonna put you on the needle. When they really, they probably should be on insulin. This is, you start to, what people, I think, fail to realize is that they're not dealing with a computer, they're dealing with a human. And a human who has all kinds of concern. And that's why so many physicians, even with insulin therapy, really dumb it down. They say, okay, I want you to take 30 units of Lantus every night and five units of Novolog with every meal. And they don't care what you eat or what you're doing. Because they, they just want to dumb it down. Because they figure, and I do understand the mentality, something is better than nothing. And so typically what happens is it's a weirdo cycle. Because you get the patient back into that office a few months later and say, hey, is it working? Like I said, even with all these great advances. And we've had, and this is, it is not an understatement. We have some of the best drugs. We have some of the best devices. We have open access to information. Anywhere in the world you are, literally you're carrying a computer with you. So you can Google anything. And I think that's great. But again, getting somebody, as I've said a million times, I can give you the how to do this. That's the easy part. I can't give you the want to do it. I want to do it because I know what could happen to me. But I'm not your normal patient. I've done... I'm training for my ninth triathlon. Somebody says, that's crazy, you're a type 1 diabetic. I'm like, I said, I can do anything I want as long as I know what I'm doing. And in some areas, there's like this, almost like this stigma. If you're if you're a diabetic, you're not a leper. I mean, <laughs> I, if somebody comes up and touches to me, I'm not going to transfer my diabetes to them. But I know people who are like, they're almost what I call closet diabetics. They won't tell anybody. They're ashamed of it. 
it, maybe it's a cultural thing. I have no idea. But it's not. You have to be a. You have to be at least a semi-engaged patient to see decent results. So I don't care how good the medications are, and they're great. Don't get me wrong. Lily's working on trizipatide, which to me I think is going to be an incredibly outstanding. You've got all kinds of delivery systems now. You know, you've got pens, you've got pumps, you've got inhaled, you've got people are working on patches. It's not like the options are not available. They're all there. And you've got some of these drugs, I think over, I think one reason I'm also a huge believer in GLP-1 therapy, not only is it stupid, but the patient sees some benefits. They're losing weight. And diabetes is not a disease state where I walk around and walk into a room and somebody says, oh my God, Dave, your A1C looks good. You don't get that constant positive. If you're losing weight, you walk in a room, people say, hey, you look great, you lost weight. That's constant positive reinforcement. That means that you're going to keep taking the drug. And so, and diabetes is unfortunately a disease state where by the time you really feel bad, it's too late. Diabetes is a slow killer. As I tell people all the time, somebody doesn't get cancer from smoking one cigarette. They get cancer from smoking a series of cigarettes over a series of years. Diabetes is very similar to that. Mismanagement of diabetes won't get you right away. That, that would be rare or odd. But over a series of years, why do you believe a disproportionate number of complications happen to people who are, let's say, 65 or older. Okay, it's not because they started mismanaging their diabetes when they hit, hit 60. It's, it was, it's because of a series of years. Mm. So these are the kind of issues that everybody faces today. And again, I love the new stuff. I think it's great. Because we are getting, and really I, I, what I love most is the access to information is there. You no longer have to go to a doctor's office. You can do virtual consults. You have apps that will help you. You can talk to your CDE via text message. So that kind of stuff I think is great because the more the patient knows, the better they're going to be. And they want to feel like they're an active participant and they're not being told, I have to do this. Patients want to know why. Too often they're not given the why. They just said, you got diabetes, this is what you do. And I, I think that, that's changing, which is a good thing. To which extent do you think that adherence to medication can potentially decline once you have a chronic condition for a very long time and you get some sort of a confidence that you the disease, that you know what you need to do, and that kind of brings a little bit of overconfidence regarding how serious the the situation might be. So, if you have a if you have a condition for ten or fifteen years, then it's really something that you got used to it in one way or or another. And I think at that stage, it's potentially easier to say that something might not be serious. If you know what I mean, if something occurs that you you get well, I, I think the, yeah, I think the biggest change we're going to see, and we're starting to see this now, 
it's not big yet, but it's starting to come up, is that we're looking for non-diabetic factors to motivate these people. So my prime example is this. A lot of auto insurance companies put a device in your car. It monitors how you drive. Based on their driving habits, you could have lower insurance rates. So what the, what the driver is trading, the driver saying, I'm going to give up some of my privacy. You're going to know how I'm driving. But in exchange for that, you're going to give me a lower premium. Diabetes really management really should be no different. If you're, there's a lot of ways to measure diabetes. HbA1c is only one of them. Continuous monitoring is obviously another one. There are still patients who use conventional meters. That's another one, assuming you're doing it often enough. But a way to engage the patient is incentivize them in some way. Make diabetes real to them, something they can touch, something they can feel, something that they can see. That's the... There are programs now. United Healthcare has a program that's beginning to use incentives. I think I'm very intrigued by it because I'm a huge believer in that. And because it's something the patient can see. An employer, for example, they can eliminate your copays or your deductibles or whatever. The better you manage yourself, the more things you get. It's kind of like almost a frequent flyer program on an airline. The more you fly, the more perks you get. Okay? So, chronic disease, whether it's diabetes, excuse me, or any other chronic disease, really is no different. If the patient has a vested interest in the outcome, and then, I don't want to be crude about it, but you're in a way you're bribing them. But it's no different than if you go out and buy life insurance, they charge higher rates for smokers and non-smokers. So you have an incentive to quit if you smoke. You're getting life. You have incentives. So I, I do believe that's one of the things that is. There's a lot of weight loss programs right now that are based on incentives. I love these kind of things because it makes the disease real to them. It makes them take ownership of it because they're getting, you don't. You can be completely out of control, and you don't really feel bad. You know, it's not, if you have a broken arm, okay, you put a cast on it, you wear the cast, you get an x-ray, and you can see improvement, whatever. Diabetes isn't like that. You don't, I know patients who are, have A1Cs of 10, and they feel fine. They don't feel anything. You know, it's not like a headache or a backache. Unfortunately, by the time those pains do arrive, it's too late. You know, that's when you get the blindness, the, the kidney failure, the amputations. But, so you're really asking, in, in, in a way, you're almost asking the patient to take a leap of faith. Meaning that if you do all of these things, you're going to avoid all of this other stuff. Now, we can't guarantee that, but there's a pretty strong likelihood. Most human beings, it'll happen to the other guy, not me. You know, that, this is human nature. And I, and I know a lot of people hate when I say this, but it is very true. Diabetes is not just a chronic disease status. It's a lifestyle. And you have to adapt your life to your diabetes and vice versa. 
And I think that's where this has been a problem. I've been writing Diabetic Investor for over 20 years. And if you go into any physician's office, I don't care whether a primary care or an endocrinologist, you go into any physician's office and you say, what's the biggest hurdle standing between your patient and better outcomes? Nine out of 10 would say medication adherence. If we could just get them to follow the program, they'd be fine. And that's been around for over 20 years. You mentioned before how complicated managing a patient with diabetes can get in a hospital. Do you know of an example or do you have an experience where something would go wrong with prescribing if there was an error or a wrong dose or anything and how that played out? I don't personally have any experience with that, but you, you, re, you read about it and you hear about it all the time. I, I talk to people who are endocrinologists or diabetes researchers who are based in a hospital system, and everybody has a horror story. A nurse that is new on the floor, didn't know how to dose properly, and missing. I know this sounds crazy, but even like a doctor's handwriting, okay? I know everybody makes fun of that. One reason I love tablets, okay? Because there's no chance to where a four looks like an eight or whatever. And so... I think what's happening is there's there yes there this is for all the technology that's designed to help you still have humans using the technology and I think that and and you have to remember what it's like to be in a hospital okay but something's always especially nowadays with covid and all that stuff there's something always going on so what happens a nurse gets called to an emergency, doesn't deliver the insulin they're supposed to. So that what, is, what happens? A patient goes and might go into DKA. Who knows? It happens. It's a hospital. It's not as controlled an environment as everybody believes it is. Because there's always something going on there. And so I think that, I think everybody's doing their very best to, I, I, there's no way to eliminate it, these errors entirely. I always believe the goal is let's lower that error rate as low as humanly possible. Because it, as I tell people all the time, I wear medical devices. Sometimes they fail, okay? It's a piece of machinery. It's inevitable. Nothing is perfect. We carry around our cell phones. Sometimes we have outages. We don't like it, but it happens. This is... These are things we have to live with. But I do, I believe there are, I think, to me the best possible news is that in order to solve a problem, you got to recognize you got one. And I think what hospitals are beginning to learn is we're not perfect. We make mistakes. Let's eliminate those mistakes. And there's all sorts of factors. Better training is one of them. Making sure that not just the nurses and the doctors are better trained, but all the technicians, the people who are actually filling the script, all of that, it's a whole supply chain, basically. So hopefully, and that's why I believe that you you can't eliminate errors entirely, but you can mitigate the number of errors. And that and there's a comment. Like I was mentioning earlier, this Glytech insulin dosing system for a hospital. If you Even if you talk to people at Glytech, they'll tell you straight up. We can only do so much, 
but we're doing our part. And that's, that's becoming more and more common. I don't see... I don't see technology as being the answer by itself, but it's definitely part of the solution. Maybe just one more thing we didn't mention before. Is it possible to say or to describe what's the kind of the usual number of medications a patient with diabetes will have? Let's say he has a disease for over 10 years it's an ungrateful question because I know that some, if you are a compliant patient, that I'm sure you can be better off. But if you have multiple comorbidities, how does... Oh, no. It, yeah. Oh, no. It's... Yeah. That's not, a, that's not a bad question at all. And that's another factor is that I've worked with so many companies and I try to explain to them. I said, you realize. Now, I'm very lucky. I, me personally, I, other than diabetes, I got nothing else. Okay. Although my children might beg to differ, but most patients with diabetes have multiple things that they're managing. Okay. So it's not, they're not just taking meds for diabetes. They're probably taking a satin. They're probably taking something for hypertension, but they may be taking a few other things. It, it, you look at some of these people's the little pill things that they have and they're filled with medications. And so you can't view diabetes in a void. Okay, which going back to your earlier thing is another factor a hospital has to consider. Which drugs work with, can I do this? Will it change that? And I would, I, I don't remember the latest statistics, but the last numbers I saw, they said the average diabetic patient is taking, I believe it was four other medications besides their, what they're taking for diabetes. And, now, and also think about this. Not just the number of medications that you're taking. Think about how often you have to take it. A lot of doctors, when they're doing what I call diabetes by the numbers, I want you to take metformin three times a day. Okay? Take it when you get up in the morning, take it at lunch, and take it at dinner. Okay? Okay. It sounds simple. How many patients have I talked to that, okay, the, the, the first dose is pretty easy because they're at home. Okay, but then you got to remember, okay, do, you know, do I have my pills with me? I know this sounds stupid, but it, that's how it is in the real world. Oh, you know, somebody's out to lunch. I forgot my pill. It happens. So it's not only the numbers of meds, but how often that you take them. And it's not like a patient can double up, meaning that, oh, my God, I forgot my afternoon dose. I'm going to take two tonight. That's not how this works. They're designed to be taken. And it's, you know, you add in all of these factors, and that's why, that's why I'm saying that there's, and, and the, the final disconnect that I really see that, and I don't, I don't know how this will ever be solved. To get the patient and the clinical world on the same page for what is considered good outcomes it's very difficult. If you go in, if you brought in a room of 20 diabetics, and I don't care how they're managing, I don't care if they're on orals alone, orals plus insulin alone, I don't care what they're doing, and you ask them to define good control, you're going to get 20 different answers. Okay? You go in a room of 20 clinicians, they're going to basically tell you, HbA one c of 7 or below. Okay? I know it's, but that's really, and Patients don't think like that. Patients think, how do I feel? 
Do I feel good or do I feel bad? And so to get those people into the same, what do they call it, singing from the same hymn book, you know, that, I'm not sure that's doable. Yes. That, that's a tough problem. I'm not sure that's doable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm, I have IBD, and I luckily I don't have too many issues, but I have a friend who's got a more severe form, and I know that over time you get used to bleedings and everything. You don't really take them seriously <laughs> until it really starts to hurt. I think once she called me and she said, I think my, my colon fell out a little bit. Do you think I should go to the doctors? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> No, but it's no, but it's so true. It's, I'll give you a real. I'll give you an extraordinarily real life example. The only reason I know I have diabetes is because my wife made me go to the doctor. I was your typical guy. I I never went to see a doctor. Feeling fine. I had all. I listen now. You're talking. This is way way back in the day, but I had all the symptoms. I just didn't know it, and my diagnosis was like a slam dunk. That is. A real world example. I'm like, okay. The only reason I went to see a doctor was to get her off my bed. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. That that's what I was trying to allude to before. I I might not have been too successful, but I was recently asked, what do I think is missing in the inpatient care at the moment? And from my experience as a chronic patient, I've been a chronic patient for 17 years by now, and that it's what I said before. My my situation is quite well managed. I don't have too many issues. In 20 years, a lot have, has changed in terms of uh, what matters to doctors, what kind of therapies are available. I'm still living in the world 17 years ago when I actually cared about the trends and the disease and what I need to know and what's going on. And now, now I, I know what what was known 17 years right. ago but I, I have the confidence that i know enough for me and it's yeah it's I, my my response to that question was i think patients sometimes need a little bit of perhaps a nudge or re-education about their condition to overcome that confidence that they know enough oh yeah sometimes yeah oh no that yeah no i agree i agree You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. Don't miss the premiere of Overdose, How Can We Prevent Medication Errors, a documentary that will air on 29th June. Stay tuned. <laughs>